1: I'm good. You know, when people ask you that question, do you ever want to just say, no, I'm not good?
0: It, you know, it, it, there, there are times, and I think we've talked about that occasionally, right? Where it's just the, the given answer of I'm great. I'm good.
1: Yeah. Now, can you imagine if you were a cancer survivor and someone asked you how you're doing?
0: Well, that's one of those times I think you'd want to say, do you really want to know? <laughs> right?
1: We could only uh, mustered up the guts to say, you know, I'm having a crappy day.
0: Yeah, because that's 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 uh, I think normal and to be accepted, there will be some bad days, as with all of us, not just yeah. our cancer survivors, right?
1: Yeah, and you know it's just the the guilt of here your doctor has saved your life, but you're dealing with all these side effects. um it can be uh, burdensome. Yeah. Um, And I can't imagine what cancer survivors uh, go through after the diagnosis. So I'm really excited about our guest today. You know, um, thanks to Google, we have found her. (laughs) And I think she's the perfect person to talk about um, survivor guilt.
0: Yeah. Pam, we tell our survivors often, right? Don't go to Google. But we did. We did, and we we are super, super excited um, to have our guest today, and so we'll ask our forgiveness from our survivors of letting us go to Google, but uh, we're super excited to have uh, our guest today joining us, uh, Bethany Hart. Bethany, thank you for joining us today on Beyond the Ribbon. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me, first and foremost. And I love that it's a do as I say, not as I do type piece of advice. I'm not going to Google, right? That's
1: right. <laughs> to the perfect site, cancer.net to find.
2: Yes, yeah. it. <laughs> It's fun because I got connected through them, kind of similar situation. So I love how we all find each other in cool ways like that. But so glad to be talking with both of you. Um I live just outside of Indianapolis. My husband and I moved here uh, April 6th of 2020. So like peak pandemic, the world was shut down. So (laughs) mentally, I feel like sometimes I still live in the Chicagoland area, which is where we came from, but um, because it's definitely a weird time to move when nothing's open. But we are the proud parents of two boys. Uh, So I have a pretty crazy household, two boys and three dogs actually. So a a wildly crazy household now that I'm saying that out loud. (laughs) Um, our sons are two and almost four months old, so it's, um, it's a fun time.
0: (laughs) It is busy. Oh my goodness.
2: Um, so yeah, I was, I'm a cancer survivor. I had small cell cervical cancer. I was, I'm actually coming up on that kind of rough stretch of time where you hit all your anniversaries. So for me, it'll be five years, October 17th when I was first diagnosed, um, so that's obviously a big part of my story and who I am and what life's been for the for the last few years. But other than that, I'm a huge Chicago sports fan. I know that probably doesn't go over well in the great state of Texas, <laughs> uh, but the Bears are worthless, so I think it's, all, it's probably a fair game for right now. Well,
0: we the Cowboys usually are worthless, but this year so far, we're doing all right.
2: I know you, you and you've got Dak back too. So hopefully, it'll uh, stay well for you guys. Unlike us up north. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. So two young kiddos, uh, but you said you are uh, a cancer survivor. Let's, let's jump right into uh, your cancer diagnosis story.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, every story I think when it comes to cancer is crazy and sad um, and, and ours is definitely no exception. So I was pregnant at the time. Um, our first child, Hallie, was a girl that we found out eventually And I mean, for anybody that's been pregnant, you know, you're at the doctor all the time. I mean, I think it was like eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks in the beginning, and there was no sign of trouble. I had no symptoms. And I think that is probably, you know, if we fast forward, we'll get to this topic, but I think this is what led to a lot of my trauma post-cancer is I just had no indication of what was happening in my body. Um, They did a pap smear at one of my first appointments, and I think it was maybe around Around week 14 or so that the nurse called and said, Hey, it came back abnormal, but you're pregnant. Pregnancy does crazy things to your body. Like, we're not super worried about it. We'll bring you in um in the second trimester just to make sure things look okay. But like, don't worry about it. And I'm don't like, worry. I remember vividly hanging up that phone, like, who is ever told don't worry? And then doesn't worry. <laughs> yes. Like, it's impossible. And I remember being at work that day. I had like that. it's like burned in my mind, like the feeling I can tell you exactly where I was standing in that office. Um, I, you know, I called my husband, I remember calling my mom right away. And one of her best friends was also, um, she fought multiple myeloma for, um, you know, for years and years. She unfortunately just passed away this year. She was just a saint. And she always had this piece of advice of there's so much you can stress about with cancer, but like, you can't, you just have to put it in a box. And so I remember vividly that day, my mom saying, Bethany, like, You're not gonna get any answers on this for a few weeks. For all you know, it's gonna be nothing. So there's no point stressing about it, put it in a box. So I tried my best to. Um, We ended up like announcing our pregnancy because what are the chances, right? Cancer doesn't happen to you. I was healthy, I didn't feel bad. I like There was just no nothing to tell me that that's what we were actually gonna um, run up again. So fast forward to week 16, they brought me in. My OB did a colposcopy. It was a Friday afternoon, it was beautiful. And she immediately was like, this doesn't look good. But like, I look at normal all day. So I want you to go see a doctor on Monday just to be safe. And then it never even registered in my mind, like saying it now back out loud, I was I, clueless because I'm like, okay, sure. it's just like, it's going to be an oncologist. And I'm like, hmm, that doesn't seem, that seems like a pretty, you know, big jump. Uh, I thought maybe it was just going to be a specialist or something. Um, so fast forward to Monday morning. And we, we got set up with this oncologist and just immediately, he did the same test and he just said, it's cancer. You're going to lose this baby. And you're never going to have children of your own biological children of your own moving forward. And he said it in this like one sentence that was very traumatic. Um, and it was in that instant that everything just changed completely for us. That's it
1: was, it,
2: I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause you say it out loud and it's still like, that's, our story it's i mean obviously we lived it but it was it was you you went from having it all to just having everything torn from you in the in the matter
1: of a sentence oh yeah kind of what cancer does just turns your yes. life mind down and for the rest of your life um it's kind of in the back of your mind
2: it uh i don't think anybody can prepare you for the moment when they say cancer like you, you know what you're in for obviously with the, with the chemo and the radiation and surgery, things of that nature, but like nobody prepares you for what comes after. Um, and that's for the lucky people that do make it to after, uh, treatment. Right.
1: Right. So here you were, um, pregnant, they tell you, you're going to lose this child. And what was next?
2: So the, the type I, I just got, we, we got unlucky across the board. Um, it's just the best way to put it, you know, had it been when the, um, pathology came back it ended up being small cell cervical cancer, which is very rare, um, very aggressive. They call it exploding tumors. And I was a walking example. It just comes out of nowhere. You know, I was, like I said, I was with the doctor for weeks and weeks and there was no sign of anything. And then all of a sudden you could visibly see these two, tu- this tumor. So uh, everything happened really, really fast. We got all sorts of different opinions trying to figure out like, how, how do we survive this? Like, I think the survival rate was at 15% at two years because there's no pre state. So by the time people find it, most yeah. women don't stand a chance against it. Um, so unfortunately, you know, my daughter, Hallie saved my life because that's the only reason we found it, but we lost her at 19 weeks. Um, so I was diagnosed at 16 weeks, we lost her at 19 weeks and then I went on to have a radical hysterectomy. Um and then I did I had 6 weeks to recover from that and then they did I did five rounds of chemo and 28 rounds of radiation I think it was. I think it was 25 internal 3 no, 25 external 3 internal. Mm-hmm um and that was over the course of December to March and then I was by the grace of God alone declared cancer-free March 28th or something like that 2017.
1: Wow I'm sitting here thinking how emotionally draining you had to be.
2: Yes Mm -hmm. because it happened so fast you know I think that's the thing that still is the shock factor more than anything is like there was just no warning and it, and it happened so, so, so fast that like, and then you just had to keep, you had to go as soon as we lost our daughter, then it was surgery. And then once we had surgery, then it was treatment. It was like, there was just no time to process. There was no time. So it was just, you can see why my life fell apart really, really in a big way mm-hmm. um, like post March, 2017 because there was just no time to deal with any of the insane emotions that came with all, these massive life changes that happen so quickly.
0: Yeah. Any, any one of those is a major life change, much less back to back to back to back. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, you finally get a chance to breathe a little bit once you're finished with treatment and now you've got to process and go through all of this.
2: Yes. Yeah. And, it, and there were just so many layers of it because you just said it perfectly. It was because I was pregnant, we couldn't save any eggs. So there was the loss of fertility, you know, because it was small cell cervical cancer. There was zero. We had to do the treatment plan that we had to do as quickly as we could. So like it was just there was not a time or break that I got in the entire process. It truly was a worst case scenario, short of short of me losing my life, too. Um, but yeah, and I was the type of person during treatment I worked still obviously it was still it was remote just from um you know you have no immune system when you're going through that level of treatment it was good distraction for me and right when I was declared cancer free I went right back to work because I think it was just avoid this train wreck of an emotional thing that you have to really go process and just go pour your life into this. And it was great for those first couple of months, but I mean you just cancer changes you completely losing a child completely uh, changes you completely, and it did. And I had no idea what I was in for once I was cancer-free.
1: And here you were, a young married couple trying to start a family. Mm-hmm. We had just
2: bought a house. I mean, it was just so sad. We it was it was just literally the worst-case scenario. We bought this beautiful home um, that we had all these plans for for our daughter, and then then you go home to the empty room, and that is a constant reminder. You have all these scars and battle wounds all over you. That's a constant reminder um of it just it cancer just does not spare anything physically emotionally spiritually mm-hmm. it it wreaks an insane level of havoc on you
1: so as you were going through all this was there anything that you did that helped you cope i, I naturally
2: i was always like the caretaker that's always been like my natural role in life um so it's very I'm used to being the one being like, how are you doing? What can I do? You know, how can I, what can I do for you today? How can I show up for you? So it was very hard on me in the beginning to figure out how to let people be there for me. Uh, And I think a lot of that looking back now is I didn't want to accept that I needed the help. I didn't want to accept that that was our story and that this was the truth of our life now. Um, So it took me a while in those, in those first couple of months, especially after like treatment, you're just, it's so regimented. You're really not thinking I was it was very easy for me to ask for like the physical help, but the emotional help, um, but then once I did, and I had a few best friends that just really stepped in uh, my mom, my husband, my sister, that really just like didn't allow me to not, not talk. Um, wow. They kind of forced it out of me. And once I started doing that and letting those deep, dark thoughts out that I thought people would judge me for massively, I, the, the name of the game started to change for me. It started to feel like the burden was a little bit lighter. Um, and I realized how much I needed that support more than anything to survive it.
1: That communication with your loved ones. Mm -hmm. It's
2: hard though, because nobody understands. I mean, they even, even the people that are walk closest to you have a level of understanding, but nobody, and in my case, especially it's an even additional layer where I lost my, like the one thing I was supposed to do as a mother is protect my child. And I couldn't even do that. And yet I'm here and she's not. So there was just these these layers of, I can't say a thing. I can't complain about a thing. I can't, I don't get to because I'm here and she's not. And so it was, it was really hard for me to let people into that really dark place of my, my heart and my head.
0: Almost like at that point, you're protecting others that you love from going to that place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't say that better myself.
0: Wow. You know, Bethany, you, you wrote, as as Pam mentioned, we found your blog that you wrote on survivor guilt. And we, it's, it's interesting uh, with all of our guests that we've tried to, to bring to the table. Um, we try to find the person that can, can best address whatever it is, whether it's dental issues or whatever the case may be. Um, and we've, we looked and searched, and this is one we knew we wanted to talk about. And it was almost like trying to find the right person who had the right example and in just if that makes sense and in just reading your blog um in fact I, I told Pam this morning as we were getting ready for this today it was just there were there were several pieces and parts of your blog that just hit me like a ton of bricks because it's kind of like what we say on a regular basis but it was said so much more poignant um, with our survivors, and so if you'll bear with me, a couple of the things. The one, the first thing I, I wrote down was you. You wrote, um, uh, and we describe this as we describe uh, what you, how you describe survivorship. We talk about it with our survivors as you've just gone through all of this, or you're about to go through all this, and you, and you say survivorship is an indescribable roller coaster. And it truly is. Yes. <laughs> um and 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 so is so is treatment. And you talk about too that there's no playbook, no boundaries, and no predictability. The reality is survivorship is just as hard and takes just as much of a toll on you as the actual cancer treatment. The toll is just not as visible.
2: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Retweet. <laughs> retweet. That's right. In capital letters.
0: I mean, but it, this right here basically sums up what we at the Survivorship Center, of course, understand, believe and know, of course, to be true and just are trying to convey with survivors of um, we understand, although we can't relate, but we understand um, that this is the case. And really and truly as you just talked about, survivors are really the only ones who totally 100% get that.
2: Yeah, it's it's hard and it's all so different. I think why it's um, why why it's easy to not talk about it as a survivor is the obvious, I'm alive, so I shouldn't be because a lot of us make friends. As you guys know, you create this community within the cancer community and yep. then you show up next week and that friend's gone. You're like, so you just have to bury those feelings down even further for the for the for that very obvious. And that, that reason's enough to do it. But then I think like the added layers of that is everybody's battles are so different physically and emotionally. And so, and you judge people by what you see, you don't see what's on the inside. And so you see someone laughing or having a good day, and then you start to put that pressure on yourself of why don't I have that? Or you see someone go through their second round of chemo, the exact same drugs that you're doing the exact same days, the exact same hours, and yet you're puking your guts out and they're, not. And so you're, you're starting to question, what am I doing wrong? You know I mean? There's just so yes. many layers of it that, that I think makes it hard to talk about because it's just so vulnerable in a very vulnerable time already.
0: Was there something that really, Because you know, obviously um, with this guilt, is there, or was there something that you could put your finger on that was like, this is the breaking point and then this is really where I'm turning the corner and how I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of this or, or, or tolerating, adjusting, whatever the, the right yeah. way to describe that.
2: Uh, I joke with my husband because it was a little tough love from him. And I say that because he meant it perfectly, but I think sometimes you need that nudge in life when, and I see it now in a lot of people I'm connected with, because we're, we we're all get so far deep into our emotions that our emotions become facts in our minds. And so I got to a point where I went back to work. It was probably a year and a couple months in, and, and he could see it much more clearly than I could at the time. But like I was just suffering from a ton of physical um setbacks from the treatment itself. I was going, I obviously wasn't dealing with any of the emotional piece of it. Um, and like world, the world was just upside down, inside out. I was miserable. I couldn't even make sense of life. On the external, you know, I'm a very outgoing person, I'm smiling, I'm alive. People think. know people move on pretty quickly they're great and and they mean the best but like you see that cancer free and they just assume all is well and i was fantastic at hiding that all was well i was alive but inside it was just bad so anyway all that to say there was just a day where kevin finally was just like something's got to change because like this isn't working and like i you know i had let him into my really dark spaces so he knew the depth of darkness that i was going through so I was able at that point that I, I realized I needed to leave my job, um, if even for a quarter, but that's a fun story, But I, I so I needed to leave my job. I needed to pour myself into physical therapy for a couple different issues that surfaced because of the treatment. I poured myself into actual therapy and it became the greatest hour or two of my week where I just was able to get my head on straight again and realize that everything I feeling wasn't fact, it was just feelings. Um, and then slowly but surely, got myself back again because i think i just expected to go back to the old bethany pre-cancer and when you lose a child and go through cancer that's not possible and so what i was able to find is who i am and how i can move forward um and it was just an immediate shift everything started to change how i was feeling the days i felt like i could take on again um and i put in a lot of really really hard work And I was rewarded, I like to say this because there's no um, coincidences I believe in life, I I believe timing everything happens for a reason, even though I hate it in the moment. But that was March when I left my job in 2019 I put in a lot, a lot of hard work and we adopted our first son May 30th of 2019 we got the phone call we had a few weeks to prepare um, and then I just took that as my sign that. I got to just be at home with him. I ended up staying home with him for almost 16 months and it was just the coolest time of my life. But had yep. I not done that work, I don't know how I would have survived being a mom, adding it to it. I think there's a reason that we, you know, we hadn't been matched up until that time.
1: Yeah. So it's okay for our survivors to take time for themselves.
2: I mean, you have to, and it's so easy to say, you know, obviously we all have needs. We have to pay our bills, things like that. I, I totally get that. And I'm grateful that my husband and I were able to, to work out in such a way that we could we could, we could create a lot of space for me to, to invest in myself again. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just don't, per, I personally don't think you can carry on. I don't think you can figure out life post cancer unless you do take some very intentional time to figure out not how to move on because you're never gonna move on, but how to move forward as a survivor.
0: True. True. You know, Pam, uh, Bethany, you mentioned about counseling and being the best hour, hour and a half of, of your week. You know, uh, I would encourage all of our listeners, if you haven't listened to um our podcast, uh came out in November and talking about uh breaking the stigma of of counseling and you know, really those myths and what counseling is and what counseling isn't and and what it looks like. And and oh, by the way. Uh, Pam, how much does it cost to go to counseling here? Free. It's free, and so the cool thing about it is, um, if you are in a position where you feel like you need to talk to someone and need to go through um, visiting with our counselor, it costs you nothing. And we we allow uh, Tiffany, our counselor, to determine how often, how long, when, and so forth. And so, Bethany, to hear you say that, just again in my mind, reaffirms many of the things that we offer here at the center. But um, that's what what you said was she one of the things that she mentioned is is helping process through and move forward and not, you know, becoming back to what you were, but becoming what you can be.
2: Yes, I, I remember my therapist very early on saying, "Bethany, you're trying to take a circle. I'll always screw this up—the circle and fit it in the square peg or whatever." Yeah. Because that's just the vi- and that visual resonated with me because it's like that you're never going to go back to that. But you know, and what I will say is, I I was never somebody that thought negatively about counseling pre-cancer. Um, I, I just oh, I, for me the I think I avoided it because again, it was just admission that this was my reality and denial is a heck of a lot easier when things are that hard. And so the fact that you guys provide free counseling, that's just the coolest thing in the world. I had the same when I was in Illinois going through treatment. I had a similar center, so
1: take advantage
2: of it, but also props to you guys for for recognizing that as a massive need for cancer patients and survivors.
1: But this survivor guilt doesn't only um, include the survivor, it um, includes their loved ones too. And we offer um, counseling for family members or even support groups. So, um, we want to make sure that we take care of the whole family. That's amazing.
2: You're so right about that. Cancer definitely does not just, and sometimes it's harder, I think for the spouse too, like obviously the patient is very hard physically, but what I talk all the time about my, how much my heart still to this day breaks for Kevin, because there's just this level of him not being able to take care you know, there's nothing you can do he would have taken my place in a heartbeat if he could have. So the, the emotional trauma it takes on the spouse is equally, if not as great too, as, as the actual patient themselves.
0: Yeah. There, there was one other statement, Bethany, I want to uh, visit in your blog before we jump into um, things that are happening now with you guys and, and what's going on. Cause we want to definitely talk through that is you had a statement and actually when I, I copied and pasted it onto a word document and I, I, I put it in red, bold, underlined everything because I thought this is so powerful. It says, the world fails people with cancer after treatment.
2: I hate to say that because I don't want anybody to take that personally, <laughs> but I, 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 I believe it strongly.
0: Well, we we see it. Um, and I I mean, I knew exactly, I think, pretty much where that came from. and And, and just as you said, just a second ago, you know, those scars are on the inside. They're not so much on the outside. You know, if I got my arm in a sling, people know that I'm not doing so well because yep. my, my arm is hurt and they can visibly see it or if I'm on crutches. But with this, it's like, how many times have you heard? Well, I thought you were done with treatment. I thought yep. things, things should be great.
2: Yep. And yes, that well, is, aren't you so glad or aren't you? I'm just thr- like, oh man, I we joke all the time. We could like, we have like a whole list of just terrible things people have said to us with the best oh, of intentions, but we're just yes. like, did you really
0: just say that? yeah? Well, and and you know, Pam and I have talked about this on countless occasions, and it's actually come up repeatedly throughout numerous episodes of the podcast are things to say and things not to say to someone going through treatment. And we kind of have this mental long, we should write it down, Pam.
2: That would have uh, been a great episode.
0: <laughs> yes. And you're right. They are probably 999 percent of them are meant with great intentions. Yeah. Um, but it's just phrased wrongly and yeah. i we can t- i can totally see that um from employers you yeah. know to uh friends neighbors even family members um are are, are encountered in, are counted in that part of the world that fails people with cancer after treatment because they don't understand
2: no they don't there's there's you can't articulate it it's like you can't articulate what it feels like for the rest of your life to to think this pain may be cancer. It could be a cough, or it could be lung cancer. Like until you have that, like I I don't have words for it. I wish I did because it would solve a lot of problems. But you know there there's just or yeah there's just no way to articulate it in a, in a meaningful way so that people that haven't been a cancer patient understand it.
0: Well, and I think the way you described in the very beginning, I'm coming up on my five year anniversary, and here's this, and it, and it, I mean. It for for every day, there is something that reminds you um, of, of a past. And the other statement I wrote down, and you touched on this, and this ties right into that, is that emotions aren't absolute. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so powerful, too, because just as you said, you had these emotions and these thoughts that you thought were like it. This is where I am. I'm going to be here. This is what I'm dealing with. This is the hand I'm dealt, and here I am, um, but have learned over um, – time that they're not absolute.
2: Yeah. And I think the best example of that is, is the mental to physical game with cancer recovery. So I, because my guilt ran so deep and I had, my feelings had become so absolute that I didn't deserve to, to, to be better or to talk about it because I was alive. I mean, there were physical issues. I had physical, physical issues with my hips from radiation. I had all sorts of issues that were significantly impacting my quality of life that I didn't even approach with my doctors for a really long time because I didn't get to, because my feelings told me, no, no, Bethany, that would be complaining and you don't get to complain you're alive. And so, and and the minute I said them out loud, my doctors were like, why haven't you talked to us about this? We have this, this, this. And like, when I finally got into those physical therapy courses, it significantly changed my life. And I also could see and feel a lot clearer Um, So they're so interconnected, but my goodness, like I was, I mean, it was dark (laughs) for a very long stretch of time for me.
1: So over the last five years, at what point did you realize all these feelings that you were having was survivor guilt?
2: It took that. So when I, in that blog post, when I wrote about that, uh, that experience with my doctor where he was like, no, Bethany, like, I need you to complain. I was like, nobody had said that to me. And I I forget how many years after that was, but I mean, that was years after, and that was after I'd been doing some of the work with, with therapy and such, but it was years after that it finally clicked with me. Like, Oh, you want me to say this out loud? Like, whoa! (laughs) like that would have changed the course a lot earlier. (laughs) Um, but so, so it took a while and that's probably why I'm so passionate about it now is even five years ago there, you know, Clearly, there was an internet, but like I, I, there's just been so many advances in just cancer communities. At least my awareness is greater of it. Mm-hmm. And I would do anything to scream from the mountaintops to anybody newly diagnosed. Now, here's what you're, here's what you have to expect, and like learn from my mistakes because you're gonna have a hard enough time as it is. Like let us who have gone before you kind of help you through and show you the path because it's worth it. I mean, it's just so hard. It doesn't. Be, we don't need to make it harder on ourselves by by living in this survivor's guilt.
0: No. And, and just because so many go through, it doesn't mean it's a rite of passage. Right, <laughs> it, right. it should not be, well, you're going to expect this, so you should do it. I mean, no, we've all it's been there.
2: Noble. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think it's not noble to like be strong one or be the brave one or like keep it all in. Like, no, like I, you know, there's power and vulnerability, but. you know, that's easier said than done for
1: sure.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah.
1: Talk to your doctors, talk to your loved ones, talk to all those people that are important to you. And so that they know what you're going through because you don't need to go through it alone.
2: And your doctors, especially because one, they see this every day. And two, they have the perspective to like fix the if you can fix the physical things, then you can spend the time on the emotional stuff. Yeah. And like if, if you don't talk about the physical stuff, which they could fix for you and they're not they're never gonna judge you for ever. I think that's a lot was a lot of my irrational fear too of like, well, what if it's nothing? And it's like, no, even if it's a little thing, you're a cancer survivor, like right. cancer, you literally poison your body enough to survive. Like it's going to wreak havoc. Like they expect to have to like help you work through some some issues as a result of the treatment. And I just remember that being like, I thought they were going to think I was a baby or this. And never once did I get that reaction from them. If anything, it was like, Bethany, why didn't you say something sooner? Yeah,
0: Yeah, because you're probably not the first person they've ever seen with X, Y, and Z. And so it's not, you know, they're they're asking, are you okay? And going, hmm, hoping that you will at least let them know into what's going on. Because you're right, they have resources. And much like us, if we don't have a resource for you, we're going to find something. We're going to find the resource
2: exactly and I, and they never failed me with that and so you know if i could have taught myself anything it would have been like bethany <laughs> do that a lot and what's funny is when i go back and um because i feel like your memory just kind of creates your own emotions like your own you know it really skews your experience i found like stacks and stacks of paper after every appointment it was like here's your next steps and there were many times that they had listed out the doctors that i needed to connect with for a lot of the issues that i had And I have no memory of that, but clearly we talked about it, but I never acted on it. And so it, it, that also just goes to show how dark things can get that, like you're having these conversations and yet your emotions are, are strong enough to say, no,
1: you don't get to do that. Right. The other part of survivor guilt that I think about is, you know, you were talking about going through chemo with other people at the same time, and maybe they are not fortunate like you were, um how do you cope with that um losing meeting someone that has the same diagnosis going through the treatment and you're the lucky one
2: it's it's impossible i was literally just having this conversation last week so the cancer that i have is like 1% of cervical cancers so there's actually a facebook group of all sisters as like as we call ourselves Um, where it's a pretty connected group. And there's one doctor at MD Anderson in Texas that's actually made it his life mission to study and to advocate for. When I was diagnosed, there wasn't even a second line of treatment defined for recurrence. It was, we didn't know enough. Now there is. Um, So all that to say, that group is very special, but it was, there were days I couldn't be a part of it because people were being diagnosed with the exact same stage that I was at and they weren't even making it through their first first line of treatment without it coming back mm-hmm. um there were people that I would get close with that were five years out and had every reason to be called a serv- like, you know cured and the cancer came back and they were gone within six months so you find yourself putting up so many walls because cancer is hard enough but now to to deal with the loss of people that you get close with um I don't even have a good answer for that. I feel like I'm still very, very in the thick of it. I just know I had to be pay very close attention to the days that I needed to leave the group. Like I would just mute it and the days when I would need to like lean into it. But that this one's hard, very, very hard.
1: I know that we have some survivors that come and they have that guilt of why me and not them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And I don't know what the right answer is um, to say to them and um, it's a hard thing.
2: And there's never what we all desperately want. Um, so I, I when I first lo- like signed onto this group, there was a woman that took me on her wing. She's turned into a very, very dear friend of mine. She's very active with our foundation. Her name was Kelly. We became cancer at first. Our husbands would joke because we call each other our cancer friends. We're yeah. like, okay, hey, we're not cancer friends anymore. We're like, we're friends. <laughs> we're family, actually, because like the things we talk about, you know, we we cross friend boundaries uh, on day one. I think. But, um, she was diagnosed just a few months ahead of me and she was incredible kind of, she didn't know a ton more than me, but she had, you know, three months in the cancer world is enough to say, Hey, pay attention to this side effect or this, but her and I talk all the time about that guilt piece of like, okay, so we're two of like the, maybe 300 people in this group. The survival rate is terrible. So on paper, one of us shouldn't be here. And every time we go for scans, we're like, it's going to be one of us, obviously one of us, it's going to come back for. And yet here we are five years later, and we're two of the lucky ones. And so it's been so impactful for me to have her by my side where we can bounce these feelings of guilt off because every time we lose a sister, it's like, you try to rationalize, you try to rationalize the stage they're at, or maybe they, maybe it was this, or maybe it was this treatment, but it's like, no, that's all the same stuff I did. It makes no sense why her and not me. And so like, instead of trying to solve for it, what we just try to do is just like hear each other out when we're having those really, really tough days. Mm-hmm. And just saying this is insanely hard and I'm and I'm grateful to be alive and that that and that I wrote about the blog, just that perspective has been my only saving grace and making sense of it.
0: Yeah, Pam, one of the survivors that I've gotten to know really well here at the center and uh, he, he told me one time that, um, you know, he finally figured out what his purpose was and he felt like maybe that was one of the reasons and that helped him kind of cope through that survivor guild and I think um let's transition Bethany to maybe what is maybe your purpose and um what you guys are doing because it's it's so unique it's it's very uh heartwarming and it's it's kind of cool. So um let's talk about your foundation and tell our listeners and educate them about it.
2: Yeah. So we I knew pretty early on that if I wasn't gonna get to be Hallie's mom on earth that I was going to have to bring purpose to my pain. Otherwise, I literally wouldn't have a, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And I know myself well enough to know that with that added layer of guilt that I'll carry around for the rest of my life just because of my circumstances. Um, so you have a lot of time to think in those chemo chairs. So I just started kind of, you know, what do I want to do? What What is that foundation going to look like? How can I help? So many people helped be? How can I honor Hallie's legacy? So when I was getting my port put in, I worked mismatching socks to the hospital. And I mean, my mom was joking, but she, you know, her and my nurse were just like beside themselves. Like, how could you do such a thing? Um, Cause you know, nothing else on my mind that day. So my mom was posting an update to the blog at the time, just letting people know how I was doing. And she posted a picture of those socks and it like took on a life of its own. It was pretty funny. And people started sending me socks. Um, and then when I started chemo, you start to realize, okay, those days are long. A lot of times if you're in the hospital too, you know, you're in gowns, you don't get to wear anything of your own. So like all these pieces started to line up that I'm like, socks, like, and then people would send me these socks and then I would wear them and I would be like, hey, so-and-so sent those to me, that was pretty cool. And that made me feel pretty special in a moment that was really dark. And so that, the idea was born from that, that I'm like, that's what I wanna do. I wanna send people socks because um, it'll meet a very practical need, but also just serve as a lasting fun reminder that like, even on your darkest days, you have people fighting for you and in your corner. Um so we launched it, I was cancer-free March, 2017. Uh, we launched on mother's day in uh, 2018, the Hallie strong foundation. And so we send care packages. So uh, cancer patients can come on and nominate themselves or just request socks, um, or family and friend members can nominate a cancer patient in their life. And we send them completely free of charge. We do our best to find the perfect match of socks. So like. I used the example just the other day, a woman said she loved Wonder Woman and Star Wars. So I sent her some Wonder Woman and Star Wars socks. It was perfect. Um, And it's so simple, but it's just our way of honoring Hallie, making sure that people kind of feel her legacy of hope like we felt in in the middle of our fight. Um, And just to connect with the cancer community because there's nothing more special. It's the worst club to join, but once you're in it, it blows me away the way people take care of each other. when you don't even know each other, half the time it's halfway around the, the country or the world that you're connecting with these people.
1: It's that super glue, um, club that you really don't want to be a part of, but once you're a part of, it's yeah. great.
2: It, it, it truly it, like it's humbling is what it is. The way people reach out to each other, the way it's, yeah, it's, it's incredibly special.
1: So if we have listeners, um, that would like to nominate or get a pair of socks, how do they do that?
2: So if you go to our uh, website, it's halliestrong.org backslash socks, um, you can either request them for yourself or send a care package to a loved one. Pre-COVID, we were also, this COVID, it just was the worst for so many reasons, it is the worst. It's not even, we would it's agree. still, still the yes. worst. Um, but pre-COVID too, we were also doing, because people just want to do anything they can to help the cancer community. So We also were getting into a really cool group where people would volunteer to bring socks to their local cancer community. Or the really cool thing that we saw all the time is somebody would get a care package and then wear their socks and like their friends at the cancer community would, or their cancer center would be like, Hey, what's that? And then they'd request and we'd send them a hundred pairs to take in and and hand out to, to all their friends. Um, we haven't restarted that program yet post COVID hopefully we can soon, but we would love to. We could even send a bunch to you guys too, just to have on hand. Like it's just, it's just meant to be a little levity in these insanely dark days that are cancer.
0: Yeah. So I want to make sure our, so if you're listening along, it's Hallie Strong and it's H A L L I E yep. Strong. And you said dot org?
2: Dot org and then backslash socks, S O C K S.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's such a, awesome, simplistic way to, uh, let people know that you care about them and you're thinking about them. And I mean, who doesn't love a cool pair of socks?
2: And there's so many cool socks out there. You don't even realize it, but now you'll pay attention to it. It's like, you can literally have a sock for any interest, any day. There's like vulgar all the way to like, I mean, there's just, it's very fun.
1: So you launched that in 2018. How many socks have you given out to date? Do you know?
2: So we um, like, so when we did the program with hospitals and like sending them out to volunteers that we've done over 3000 pairs of socks that way, uh, care packages. This is my, this is the exciting thing. So the first year, I think we sent like 70 total this year alone. We're very close to a massive milestone. So we've sent 952 care packages in just 2021 alone, Um, so we're very close to that thousand mark, which is just, I obviously hate it because that means that's a thousand people going through cancer, but you know, the fact that we've been able to connect with almost a thousand people this year is just beyond my wildest dreams for it. Um, but all in, I think it's almost 1700 care packages since we started.
1: That is awesome. What a blessing to carry on your daughter's legacy and, and for your tragedy and, bringing smiles to people yeah. going through something dark.
2: It's uh it's the, it's the least we could do. I, I, I say all the time, of course, I would trade it all the way to have her here, but um, since we can't do that, it's, it's, it definitely is powerful to hear the stories of what the socks have meant to people and, and know that it's all
1: been in Hallie's name. Yeah. Ron, maybe we should give our listeners some homework.
0: Yeah, I think we should, you know, we, we do homework often, Pam, uh, almost every episode, Um, listen, you guys, um, go to halliestrong.org and I went there, you can, you, you can, you can pay forward, you know, you you can pay for a a pair of socks or however many pairs of socks you want, right. You can pay for them so that it's covered and taken care of so that Bethany, that they can continue on this mission. So that is your homework today is definitely go to halliestrong.org, check it out pay it forward, send some socks their way. um, And then, yeah, you're right. Every time you now go to the store, you're going to be thinking about socks. So when you see those cool, crazy, maybe even vulgar socks, as Bethany said.
2: (laughs) My mom will kill me for that, but. (laughs) (laughs) It
0: does. Hey, listen, sometimes that's necessary.
2: In in the cancer world, it is. And she actually supports that too. So
0: (laughs) I know a lot of our listeners are going, yes it is
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're lying if you said you haven't ever said that or multiple times <laughs> that's right
0: that's right so when you see those socks let that be another reminder that you can go back to that website right pam and send that's some right. more, send some more socks someone else's way
1: or drop them off and i'm sure we can find someone to give those socks to in hallie's honor so. that's right that's right i would
2: love it for sure and i think like the other like thing just to for me, why the foundation is so meaningful is I think with cancer, a lot of times it paralyzes people on how to support the patient in their life. Um, it's, it's hard to know what to say or do. So I think human nature is just not to do anything. And so this just is a really easy avenue for people to do something like, all you need to know is their address and that's all we need from you. And maybe their interests, if you want to send it a little bit personalized, but it, it's a very small act, but it will mean everything to that cancer patient when they get that package. And then when they wear those socks, every time they're going to be thinking of, oh man, that person took the time to, to do this. That's right. I can get through this day. I can, I can champion this chemo session or whatever it is.
0: Sure. Yeah. So that's, you know, you can even, yeah, just like that, you can send them directly to someone, you know, or just making a general donation. Right, Bethany?
2: We will gladly accept all donations. I care very much about keeping the care packages 100% free to send. For that reason alone, I want to make it as easy as possible um, to connect with the cancer community. So yeah, donations are, we rely 100% on both uh, money and also socks to send these. So we will, I'll never shy away from <laughs> from that.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it is the little things in, in all things. It truly is the little things that make the big difference. Yeah. Wow. What a, what an amazing story.
1: Bethany. Thank you so much for sharing your story and um, getting your foundation out there. We are very grateful for you being on this um, podcast. We like to close out our um, podcast with a Pete's powerful moment. And that's just a moment that you've um, had in your cancer journey. If you would share that with our listeners. I'll, I'll share a really cool moment
2: that was actually um, by way of our foundation. So obviously Hallie is who our daughter was. We had named her um, before I was even diagnosed. And there was one night I was going home from work. I was in an Uber actually, and I got a message on our social media and it was from a mom. And she was like, you'll, you'll never believe this, but I found you through the hashtag Hallie Strong." Her, I think she was four years old at the time. Her daughter, Hallie, had just been diagnosed with leukemia. She was deep in the throes of just those initial days of like, how do I make sense of this? And and it's your child. Like there's just a whole nother layer of just panic on that. Um, But we were able to send Hallie a bunch of socks uh, in the beginning. We were able to send her parents some, since they're obviously in the hospital, a bunch. Um, But because of that, uh, as with every cancer patient, they want to go help the cancer patients, you know, following them. So her mom organized this whole pajama drive uh, for her birthday a few months later. And so we were able to match that with socks so that all these kids in the hospital were getting brand new PJs with warm socks. And I think that's just like the most powerful example of just how truly special the cancer community is. And that like, just those small acts and like one small interaction can just become this incredible impact on so many people. Um, that's probably one of my most favorite stories of, of our foundation work.
0: Wow, almost like spread like wildfire, right?
2: It's so true. It's so, and and they now her mom loves it because all of our highly Strong stuff, you know, looks like her daughter, yep. like the right. all over it. So they have like the hats and everything. I'm like, it's perfect. It's
0: very <laughs> fitting, very, very fitting. Well, Thank I you. tell you, uh, what an amazing tribute uh, to be able to do what you do, and both, both touching, both, both, both areas, right? For your daughter, for your cancer community, your your uh, cancer friends, and cancer community that you don't even know. So gosh, Bethany, uh, you guys are doing great work and we appreciate you coming on and sharing with our listeners, your story of survivor guilt and uh, reiterating the importance of, of processing emotions and, and going through things and speaking to your provider. And those are all uh, major, major things that are are many times difficult. Thank you so much
2: for having me. Me. and please by all means feel free um, for anybody listening, I always love to connect with new, new people. So I'm never shy. I think there's uh, no boundaries when it comes to cancer so I'll never be shy to answer a question honestly. so I'm happy to connect if anybody wants to um, as a result of
1: this as well. And where can they find you on social media?
2: Yeah. So our I do all the uh, the foundation is at Hallie Strong Foundation. Um, so you can if you go to any of that Facebook, Instagram, and then Twitter is Hallie's Hope, um, you'll. That's that's me running it all. So you'll get me <laughs> behind the scenes. Tonight. <laughs> the and life. Also, my email is also on our website too, and that goes directly to me as well. So,
0: the nonprofit life, right?
2: Yes. I, I love it. It's all it's, kinds. It's, it's a passion project, that's for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And those are those are the most successful uh with the heart behind it so again thank you bethany for for joining us today uh for our listeners do not forget your homework in addition to liking and subscribing our podcast and sharing our podcast with those that you know and love uh make sure you go to hallie strong h-a-l-l-i-e strong.org backslash socks check it out uh send some socks to some of your your uh, cancer buddies and uh make a donation while you're there but again Join us next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again,
1: and we'll be back next week.